let me ask you this. Let, let, let me ask you this. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Sports Central. Chicago Sports Conversation with Adam Hogue. Go, go, go. This is Sports Central. Welcome into Sports Central. It's been a couple weeks. Welcome back. My name's Adam Hogue, and we got a good episode for you today. Rick Hahn is on the program, and we talk some basketball with Mark Carmen as well. But first, want to thank everyone who uh, not only listened, but uh, provided some feedback on uh, the last episode and the lengthy, lengthy interview with the great Terry Boards. Uh, it was a fun, really one of the my favorite interviews I've ever done. And I was it was something I'd been looking forward to for a number of months since we set that interview up way back uh, in the winter. And uh, just a lot of fun to talk to him about radio and life. And uh, it was it was a it was a fun, fun interview and I appreciate all the feedback. I apologize it's been a couple weeks since we've uh, pumped an episode out here for you, but it's it's been certainly a busy time with the NFL draft. Uh, and with baseball going on and with the White Sox, a daily grind of the season. Uh, but I had a chance to sit down with Rick Hahn in the White Sox dugout. And uh, there's been a lot going on with the NBA playoffs as well. So Mark Harmon will stop by to talk a little bit about the NBA um, and a little bit about the Cubs as well, too. If you're looking for football content, because the draft did come and go, Hogan Johns is the place for you, the Hogan Johns podcast, uh, which I also do. You can, of course, find that on WGNRadio.com or on iTunes, Google Play. Um, you should be subscribed to both of these podcasts and uh, also a number of good podcasts that, that we have. You should be listening to all of them. Uh, Powell at the Park. Kevin Powell, our baseball insider, has a new baseball podcast that he's been churning out during the season. You can check that one out. Um, of course, we have our Blackhawks podcast with Scott King. Blackhawks Crazy. Uh, Chris Bowden's a part of that, too. That's definitely what you want to be listening to. Um, but Sports Central is kind of the flagship where we hit on all the topics. Uh, and I had a chance to sit down with White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, recording this on Wednesday of this week, and so it was before the second game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, sat down with Rick Hahn in the dugout, and we had a pretty good conversation about a, some of the minor league prospects, but a lot of the things that had actually been going on at the major league level as well. But you're definitely going to want to hear what he said about the Eloy Jimenez because, um, boy, he has been just crushing the ball at the double A level. Eloy Jimenez. So you got to wonder when he's coming up to at least AAA and if there's a chance that he'll make the Major League Club this year. So here is my sit down with Rick Kahn in the White Sox dugout before they played the Pittsburgh Pirates in the second of that short two game series. All right, Rick, uh, I want to start with Yoan Mankata. A lot of strikeouts early, but he was really, really showing you why he was the first piece in that Chris Sale trade before he now is on the DL, which would hopefully be just a brief stint. But what was he showing you before going on the DL, and how actually hard was that to make that decision to, all right, let's let this hamstring heal up, because it was clearly bothering him just a little bit, but enough. You know, first with regards to the DL place, when you're right, you never want a young player, you don't ever want any of your players to put him on the list if you don't have to. Uh, And 
Johan's obviously one of the bright spots in what's been a rough start to the season, and, and no one wants to deprive ourselves or our fans of seeing him play on a daily basis. But in the end, you know, he two games in a row had to remove himself, and although clinically or structurally the, the issue with the hamstring seemed very minor, uh, you know, he also had a little issue with his thumb, his foot was bruised from a foul ball, and, and it got to the point of it's just not worth screwing around on this. We knew he was going to miss a few games in that Minnesota series. In the end, with the off days, it was a decision, you know, are we comfortable uh, with him missing five more games, the two against Pittsburgh and the three at Wrigley, in order to try to get this thing fully behind him. And, and ultimately, we got a responsibility to remain focused on the long term, not just when it comes to our planning and our player moves, but when it comes to protecting our, our players going forward. And, and that's what entered the decision with Yohan. Uh, early on, absolutely, he, you know, I know, understand why there was some consternation, so to speak, out in, in White Sox Nation with how he was hitting. Uh, even after he got hot, he's still striking out at a rate that's above what we expect is going to be the, the case for the long term for him. But while he was, you know, quote unquote, struggling, you still saw that very disciplined approach at the plate. You still saw him hitting the ball extremely hard when he made contact, and you still saw him saving runs defensively at second base. So he, he was contributing with his with his ability to get on base, uh, with the damage he was doing when the ball was in play, and, and defensively. So those were the kind of things that we know are are consistent tools that he can bring every day. And over the course of the season. Uh, the results tend to even out, and the, and the guys who are able to profile like that are tend to be rewarded. So our confidence wasn't really shook in him, uh, but I understand why you know outside observers might have been like, boy, this is a slow start, and there was reason for concern. But even in those first few weeks, I remember looking at the stat cast numbers, and he's up towards the top and barreled balls and the exit velocity. How, how much do you value those indicators when a guy is striking out a lot, but hey, when he's making contact, he's crushing the ball? That's a big, that's a big part of it. I mean, it, back before this kind of information was widely disseminated or available, even the clubs, you would hear guys talk about, you know, the guy's just hitting in the bad luck, or he's hitting a lot of Adam balls, he's, you know, just hitting them right at him, and, and that luck will even out eventually. Now, which is true, and always had been true, but now we're a little more, it's a little more easy to, uh, to quantify it. And so, oh, look, he is hitting the ball extremely hard. He is just happens to be hitting in the bad luck when the ball's in play. Uh, and over the course of the season, those are the type of things, again, along with the plate discipline, that you tend to see even out. And certainly, uh, as difficult it may be to watch those struggles and, and see those atom balls not get in there for hits, you know over the course of the long term the kid's going to likely be okay. Three-fifths of your rotation it comprises of young kids, uh, big pieces of this team, Reynaldo Lopez, Carson Fulmer, and Lucas Giolito. Are we at the point in the season where there's enough of a sample size to, to evaluate what they've done so far this year? Not yet, really, uh, to be candid. And, and I think Lucas is a perfect example. Uh, last night you saw him struggle. You saw him fight his own mechanics. Uh, you saw him unable to locate all of his pitches, and, and as a result, you saw uh, too many walks and, and missing up in the zone and getting hit as a, as a result of things. However, in the previous start in St. Louis, you saw a guy who had, uh, you know, I think it was plus command of his slider that day. He was locating his fastball and uh, really performed extremely well. And you saw Ricky leave him out there for an extra batter to give him the chance in the seventh inning to get out of a jam. Now, it didn't work, 
But that's really the embodiment of what this season's about, giving these young guys the opportunity to advance to a new level. For in in uh, Lucas's case, it was the seventh inning and going through the lineup uh, an extra time and seeing if he could battle his way through and navigate his way through a tough lineup. And last night, it was an example of him not having his best stuff and not having his mechanics and needing to adjust. So they're still going to continue to be growth of these young guys. They're by no means finished products. I think this point in the season, we know the type of things they need to work on. We know from a consistency standpoint what we need to see more of and, and what bad habits they may fall into that they need to find a way to self-correct. But in terms of saying this is who this player is going forward, it, it's too soon. It, it's been easy to appreciate Matt Davidson's new approach to the plate this season and all the walks. I think he's only, as we talk right now, I think he's only one walk away from matching his total <laughs> from last season, which is pretty credible this early in May. How, uh, I mean, that was obviously a big focus for him in the offseason, but how pleased have you been seeing those results? It's been great because, I mean, it's the kind of thing we've been we've been emphasizing for a while and for whatever reason uh, it just started to click with, with Maddie this year and it, it's it's a thrill to watch. I mean, you've heard Todd Steverson, our hitting coach, say time and again when interviewed, there's, you know, nothing real good happens outside the zone. And uh, Maddie and the power he's shown and the plate discipline he has shown uh, isn't a surprise, isn't a isn't a shock when you've been able to he's been able to refocus on just doing damage on strikes and, and laying off things he can't handle. You've seen uh, bursts of that from Tim Anderson this year as well. He's obviously still uh, evolving as a hitter, and going forward, that's going to be a big part of him unlocking uh, his ceiling and getting the that future success locked in. Uh, is him taking that similar approach that we've seen from from Maddie here over the first five weeks? And if I may add, the first couple weeks of the season, he must have taken four or five borderline strike threes, yeah. right? And that, that were yeah. probably balls for him to kind of stick through that and stay with the approach when that could have impacted any hitter to get frustrated. It was also impressive. Yeah, you're you're, you're absolutely right. And that that you, you always cringe when a guy gets punched out on a ball that he shunned just in general. But when it's a player who's starting to trust his eye more and is starting to is, is purposely being more disciplined, it, it, it hurts doubly because you just don't want him to be discouraged and you want him to stick with a plan that you know for the long term is going to be successful for him. You get that frustration and, and Maddie, despite like you said, probably at least four times has been punched out on balls uh, out of the zone, which happens, happens in the game. I'm sure he's gotten the benefit of a few balls uh, in the zone called called for balls, uh, which we tend not to remember as easily. Uh, but it's great to see him stick through with it and uh, with with the positive approach. The, the record obviously isn't great at this point in the season, but you said multiple times in the offseason coming into this might be the hardest year of the rebuild. Beyond that, though, I, if I may just bring up one thing, I, I have been surprised at the defensive struggles a little bit. Is that is that a fair observation that maybe at least on that side of things you you, you expected better so far this year? That, that's very fair. That's very fair. And, and unfortunately, I was speaking the truth when I said this would possibly be the most difficult season. And uh, you know, it, it's been difficult for all of us fans and guys in the clubhouse and guys in uniform alike. You know, we can objectively understand where we are in this process and where we want to go and, and certainly be encouraged by a lot of the developments both at the big league level and, and very many at the minor league level but we're still competitors and we still want to win on a daily basis uh, and when you see certain things 
not developing the way you want. Like I, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, it, even in some of these losses, you're able to find positives, whether it's a nice defensive play by Moncada or Lopez taking a step forward on the mound, stuff that bodes well for the future. Uh, but when you see things, as you alluded to, like some defensive struggles, particularly in the outfield this year, uh, that's frustrating because that's the kind of thing that you know the talent is there. Uh, you know... Uh, that certainly routine plays need to be made. And you know the burden that it puts on a pitching staff that's very young and, and you know, needs those outs converted uh, when the opportunity arises. So that's, that's, been, that's been a frustration along uh, uh, broader than just the wins and losses because that's the kind of thing that you wanted to start seeing, you know, some improvement along so you can pencil, you know, some of these pieces in as, as legitimate long-term championship caliber players. I don't know that Aloy Jimenez can be doing any better than he is double a right now i'm not going to ask when you're calling him up to triple a unless you want to tell me uh but but what is usually the sample size you look for with with any player before you you do elevate them to the next level you know it's tough because every player is different and it's rare you see a guy for an extended period dominating at a level the way eloy has early this season obviously he missed a little bit of time in spring with the peck strain and and uh and the knee issue early in camp so really just wanted him to get into a routine once he got to once he got to birmingham not only has he gotten in a routine he's obviously he's been raking for the last you know two weeks or so uh, talked about it with chris getz our director of player development yesterday and and Traditionally, you tend not to do too many promotions before the halfway mark. A guy is assigned to a certain level for a reason. Uh, you may, in your mind, envision him being there the whole year. You may envision him only being a part of a year. But usually even the part of the year guys are there until the break or the halfway mark. Again, you've heard me say probably too many times the good ones have a way of forcing the issue on you and changing your development plans. Uh, certainly the way Eloy's performed thus far might require an adjustment at some point here in the coming weeks. You know, you, you are playing the Cubs this weekend. He loves hitting against the Cubs. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, we got him in September, too, I think. <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's a little bit more realistic. Rick Hahn, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it today. Absolutely. Anytime. Man. Thank you. All right, White Sox fans. So I tried. I tried there, but uh, I don't think Eloy's coming up this weekend for the Cubs series. But, um, hey. He said they play the Cubs again in September. That's true. So, uh, man, it's going to be all up to Eloy Jimenez in the way that that he continues to develop right now. I don't know what else he could be doing at the double-A level. Uh, the As we record right now, his multi-hit streak game up to nine games, two doubles today, 13-game uh, hit streak overall, but a nine-game multi-hit streak with at least two hits in those games. Uh, you have to imagine, and you heard Rick Hahn there say that in the next couple of weeks here, they might have to 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 uh, make a decision there uh, and move him up to AAA. And then it's you know, I'm a big fan of guys dominating every level of the minor leagues before they get called up. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of guys skipping a level, um, but there's if he hits AAA and dominates there. It's probably only a matter of time before Eloy Jimenez makes the uh, gets called up to Chicago at some point. But uh, the White Sox aren't rushing these things. And the same thing with Michael Kopech. He's been very, very good at Charlotte this year. But um, they're, they're going to wait and uh, make sure that everything that they feel like needs to be worked out is worked out before, that, before Kopech or Eloy uh, get called up. So 
Um, as, as tough as it's been at the major league level this year for the White Sox, very, very encouraging at the minor league level as well. Unfortunately, um, and Rick and I didn't talk about this because he had just gotten done uh, explaining what had happened to all of the media um, before we talk, but Jake Berger, the White Sox first round draft pick last year, retore his Achilles tendon, uh, which of course happened back in, in spring training. He had gone through 10 weeks of recovery and unfortunately tore it again at home in Arizona. Sounds like more of a freak type deal um, and had to have that repaired. Now, the, the word from Rakan today was that nothing should change long term in terms of recovery. However, he did just lose 10 weeks of rehab, and that's going to set him back 10 more weeks next year. It's a 12-month deal. So um, that is tough news for Jake Berger, who at least you were hoping would be back and ready to go for the full 2019 minor league season. And now it's looking like he won't be able to give it a go when the season starts next year. It's going to bleed into the season uh, in at least to May if you're just going on a 12-month timetable there. So that was unfortunate news. But for the most part, across the board, the minor league news for the White Sox with the prospects has been very, very encouraging. And, of course, that starts with Aloy Jimenez and uh, Michael Kopech. And I can't wait for Luis Robert to get out there soon. He's in extended spring training right now, still recovering from... uh, the hand injury he had back in in spring training, but he should get out there soon because he could be on a fast track too uh, with all the talent he has. And uh, it, it's just they got to get him going in Winston Salem and move him up uh, through the ranks. And and so it's just a matter of getting him out there and playing. All right, from baseball to basketball, and it's a late night recording here of Sports Central. The Celtics 76ers series just ended. And I had to bring Mark Carmen on, Mr. NBA for... Basically, you should be the NBA ambassador for the entire world, I think. I don't know anybody who loves NBA as much as you do. I honestly am stunned that you're... A, knew the league was going on tonight. B, <laughs> waited till 10 o'clock at night to do a podcast to see the end of Celtic Sixers, which, by the way, was a phenomenal game. Congratulations, Boston. And uh, and Adam, I'm going to tell you something. There are people that watch and love the NBA more than me. I know it's surprising, but there are. I'm, I'm in the I'm in I'm in the photo, but I, I'm like probably like way way deep in the corner compared to the nuts that are out there. But I, I do love it. I love it so much. It's the best time of year. I know it's a big deal. I invested in the game tonight. I I watched not the, not from start to finish, but I did watch the entire second half. And uh, here's here's where I want to start because. Uh, Brad Stevens, I know well from his college days, and you know Butler, and even just following the series, kind of from the far, he has been outstanding. And just watching the game tonight, I'm thinking, man, Brad Stevens is a genius. What he's been able to get out of the Celtics team with all the injuries that they've had. Meanwhile, I have no idea who the other guy is on the other edge. <laughs> Who's the 76ers head coach? They showed him. They showed him like twenty times, and I'm like, I don't know who that guy is. Oh, that's funny. You don't know who Brett Brown, the outstanding young. He's not that young. No, he looks like he's eighty. Well, he's not eighty. I'm. I don't know how old Brett Brown is. I'm guessing he's in his fifties. Brett Brown's one of the Spurs protege assistants. He was, you know, he was coaching under Pop. He's coached in Australia. 
Uh, All right, I definitely the- don't know NBA assistants that are not Chicago Bulls assistants or okay. th- or Tibbs assistants. Okay, well let me let me tell you what. So just so you are a very intelligent person when this happens, the guy that's going to be next off that Spurs uh, bench that didn't hasn't been hired yet, Ime Udoko, who played seven years in the league and is. Uh, has Nigerian heritage is going to be a great hire off that Spurs bench right now. That's not, I don't know if it'll happen this year, but it's going to happen down the line. But Brett Brown's one of those guys, and he was mainly hired because the Sixers were trying to tank and be terrible, and they knew that Brett Brown would never complain because he finally had a job in the NBA. And now he's still coaching them, which I'm wondering if that will be the case. Now, if they just went out in five games, there could be. I don't know if there will be a change in Philadelphia, but I wouldn't rule out there being a change in Philadelphia, at least uh, certainly next year if they come up short, which they will. All right, that's enough about Brett Brown. That's, <laughs> that's all I need to know about Brett, okay. Brett okay. Brown. Uh, all right, how? Uh, let, all right, let's just stick to this series right now because that's what we just saw. Well, obviously the the big one, and, and honestly, even I cannot wait for is Warriors and Rockets. It's uh, it's going to be fun, but. Since the Celtics did just move on, and both of those Eastern Conference series, the underdog team won and won convincingly, very easily. How how have the Celtics continued to keep this thing going with all the injuries they've had? It's a great question that uh, an upper-level Hubie Brown might not even know the answer to. But, I mean, Brad Stevens, who you started with, is at the top of that list. But the other... The other answer is Al Horford is just a gritty, smart, can make ridiculously athletic plays that you wouldn't think he would because he barely looks like he can get off the ground um, and was able to guard onto the Kumpo Giannis in the first series against the Bucks at, at crucial times. And he's going to have to do the same thing against the Cavs here, of which, I mean, I give the Celtics like a 3% chance of doing it. But that's one guy. And Terry Rozier, their point guard, who's sitting in, who's stepping up for Kyrie, is you know a guy that every team in the NBA would love to have, and he's been an end of the bench guy for the Celtics, who just continues to plod his way towards more and more minutes. I love him. Helps you on the defensive end. Has done a lot more offensively than anyone thought he could ever do. So there's two guys, and Jason Tatum is arguably the rookie of the year. I mean, Ben Simmons is going to win it, but the Celtics ripped Jason Tatum from the Sixers and got a got a, a lottery pick for him in addition moving back we don't have to go through the whole trade but that was a ridiculous job by Danny Ainge Danny Ainge is, is a is an incredible basketball executive and if the Celtics had all their guns this year they I would I would think that they would have won the east but they're they obviously do not so you got to give the Celtics incredible credit for how they've gone about their rebuild it's it's elite unlike uh, John Paxson, Gar Foreman, and the Chicago Bulls. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. We're getting way ahead of ourselves now. Whatever happens with LeBron, you have to imagine the Celtics are far and away the best team in the East next year. You would think. If you, if LeBron does choose to go to Philly... I'm rooting for that, by the way. Because I, 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 I love this Philly team. Uh, Embiid is awesome to watch when he's not jump, you know, hoisting up threes. I know he can make them, but it's like, dude, you're enormous. Just go to the basket. Um, ben Simmons is a little too one dimensional for me, but it's a it's a fun team to watch. They had LeBron. That that's what I'm rooting for. It they would be. I mean, look, if if LeBron went to the New York Knicks, I I borderline say they're going to win the the East next year, considering how bad the East is and considering how good LeBron is. Philly's a great spot for him, but I, I do wonder. Because, like, you know, Kevin Durant goes to Golden State and they welcome him. 
and it's easy for them to do because they've already won championships. But young players, they're saying that they want LeBron, but I, I'm deep down. I'm thinking that Joel Embiid, I bet you want to be the star or, or at least 1A, and same thing with Ben Simmons. I've heard rumblings that those two are not exactly best of friends and that the Sixers, although outwardly are saying they want LeBron, actually within that locker room, they prefer to do it themselves, which to me would make sense. Like, well, we're gonna we're gonna hire LeBron to carry us over the top. Like that would be, at least in old school ways, that'd be weak. But that taking all that out of the equation, LeBron's a perfect fit for the Sixers, and if he went there, that would be extremely entertaining. And we could like be it'd be like Celtic Sixers in the eighties. Little Andrew, Tony, and Doctor J and Larry Bird, Adam Hogue. That would be very very fun to watch. Well, for now, LeBron is still on the Cavs and. <laughs> I, I'm not a betting guy, but I did. Uh, I did see when they were trailing to the pace. What was that Pacer series when they were losing? Was it? Three? They were down one zero and two one. Okay, so I think it was when they were down two one. The the odds of I think it was just to win the East for the Cavs, like dropped to something that was could have been as much as twenty to one, maybe not twenty to one, ten to one. Something like that, but it was it was enough where I'm like, and I don't gamble, but I was like, man, how do I gamble? Because I feel like throwing a hundred dollars on that right now, LeBron making the final still, because he is LeBron, and he's still going to do it somehow. I, I mean, I wish you would have called me and and told me that was going on, because and I don't know how to gamble either. But we could have figured out a way to gamble, <laughs> and it would have been a great gamble. Because I listen, if they were down three one, I would have bet on the Cavs to do it. You don't sure. bet against LeBron James in the Eastern Conference until he's until oh, it's over. I I said at the time, for the record, that that is going to be the toughest series you will face in the East. Indiana is really good, and just nobody knew it. Uh, I didn't know it, but like watching them, I'm, that Indiana team is going to be very very tough next year too. All those guys are coming back. Victor Oladipo is the man. People should read his Players' Tribune piece. I love that guy. But, uh, yeah, we should have gotten rich on that one, Adam Hope. We could have made some dough. Okay, but it, I, and I realize this is different because LeBron's playing against the Cavs. But the first two rounds, everybody liked the Bucks to win, to beat the Celtics. Everybody liked the 76ers to beat the Celtics. They just keep winning. So, why? I, I, don't, I don't think it would be smart to, to rule out Boston winning this series. Yeah, okay, but like Milwaukee was borderline awful all year and they snuck into the playoffs as a seventh seed and there was uh, there was at times where you thought Milwaukee are you going to miss the playoffs which would have been ridiculous. So they were they were really a disappointment all year. And the Sixers people just fall in love with their talent, but they've never done it. This is a, you know this this is a huge year for them and they also ended up the year winning I think 16 in a row to get to what fifteen and thirty-two? So, that, so people were very high on Philadelphia, and they did whip Miami. But I was never impressed with like the Miami team either. So I just think people, the Sixers were overbought, and Milwaukee. I, apparently, if, if if what you're saying is true, were overbought too, or or at least Boston was undersold. It's purely from the the fact that you know Brad Stevens knows exactly what he's doing, and he will make this tough on LeBron, but uh, or as tough as can be with that squad, but I, I don't think, like, I mean, just coming down the stretch tonight watching it, who's going to score for Boston when they have to have a hoop? I mean, it, they, they were able to get buckets, but 
I just can't see them being able to consistently do that against Cleveland. Not that Cleveland's a great defensive team, but to beat the Cavs, you've got to outscore them because you're not going to stop LeBron every time down. I just don't see Boston with the firepower to do it. Well, I, I hope it's a good series because, look, everyone's been saying how great the NBA playoffs have been, and it is great theater. I'm not going to deny that. But none of those series in the last round went more than five games. Like, right, let, let's but, see some, let's see some, uh, like, I, and I can't wait for war, Warriors Rockets right now. And I, I think the Warriors are just so good. It's going to be hard, but I, I, you're going to be shocked by this carb. There was some, I don't remember if it was December or January, but there was some random Saturday night, like three or four months ago, where Adam Hogue was watching <laughs> a Rockets Warriors game on a Saturday night. It must have been after football season ended if I was home on a Saturday night. But uh, anyway, it was a great game, and the Rockets won. And I remember sitting that night thinking, and I think that was when the Warriors were completely healthy too, saying, you know, the, the, the Rockets might actually have the firepower to beat this team. Now that we're actually here, I don't know that I believe that, but it, I, I'm just hoping it's a great series. Yeah, and I, I think you're going to have to keep your fingers crossed on that one because, I, I mean, I got Golden State winning in five games, five entertaining games, but I don't see this thing going, you know, deep into the night of a seven-game series. But, look, uh, you know, you've got Chris Paul putting up 40-plus points and, and 10 assists in game five, first player in the history of the league to do that, to, to not have a turnover with those type of numbers. And you've got the MVP of the league in Harden. Not that he should be the MVP, but he will be. And to me, the X factor in the series is Clint Capella. 23 years old, big man in the middle, but not just finishing at the rim. Clint Capella can actually guard the perimeter and make it. And this will be interesting to see how he's able to jump out on Kevin Durant and Draymond Green and make things difficult out there and protect the paint. I'm asking a whole lot out of Clint Capella by the way, is uh, from Switzerland and played soccer as a kid. He's got great footwork. I love Clint Capella. But Can't, I, like, Clint like, Capella, I'll put him in the same uh, category as Dario Saric. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, there who, you go. Who, uh, I, 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 you, nice to meet you, Dario. <laughs> right, Dario, I think, introduced him to a lot of basketball fans <laughs> in this series. Not, there's not a lot of Dario intelligence out there outside of Philly, and I would, I'm learning Dario myself. But Capella, uh, I'll give, you know, to, he talked earlier in the year, we're better than the Warriors. And then Kevin Durant got all mad and said, it's guys like that talking who don't do anything other than like grab lobs and dunk it, and all of a sudden he thinks he's great. <laughs> well, there's some truth in that, and there's also like Clint Capella's, his evolution, along with Chris Paul, has changed the Rockets into the team that won the most games all season long. So if he plays great, you could get the series you're looking for, Adam Hogue. All right, well, I, I hope. That come on, give me at least six games. Six games okay. in both series. I'm I'm here. I'm here for the NBA car. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I don't know when I'm gonna have time to watch it, but I'm here for it. Well, you you can't catch them all. Life happens, but you know, yeah. little late night NBA. That's the beauty of the playoffs, by the way. At some point, you know, you're just sitting at home at ten o'clock at night and. Then you get a nice little West Coast uh, you know, playoff basketball for it. It's a beautiful thing. And by the way, we got the lottery coming up on Tuesday. Uh, Hundred percent chance the Bulls get the number one pick. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I don't think they're going to fix it for the Bulls this year. But they, John Paxson and Gar Foreman would certainly like that. I'm, I'm going to go to that thing. We'll see. I don't even know who the Bulls are sending. Is that out? Do you know? Uh, if it is out, I wouldn't know. You would know. 
Okay. I mean, I, I I may have missed that one. I don't think it is out. I'm assuming that it's going to be Benny the Bull or. Oh, great. Yeah. Uh, maybe a lovable will go. I don't know, but uh, they the the Bulls. Um, I mean, no. Well, well, let me ask you this, Carmo. Okay, yeah, we're yeah. we're we're a full year into this, you know, real rebuild. Which you know mm-hmm. where you know where I've been on this from the start. You know, the 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 White Sox and Bulls, both owned by the same people. Um, I, I've been consistent from the start. Very confident of, about the White Sox rebuild in Rick Hahn's hands. Not so confident about John Paxson and Gar Foreman turning this thing around because there's just not really a track record of it. Um, and a year into it, I don't know that I feel any better. Yeah, I mean, they, they have, I'll give them credit for they have they have a track record of, you know, Pax coming in there and, and building a nice team around Ben Gordon and company. But that's my then- point, Carmen. I, like, that's what I think, that's what I feel the end game is here. And I actually, if that's what you're saying is going to happen, I'm very confident that will happen. I like Markinen. I, I thought they made a good trade with Jimmy Butler last year. Um, you know, the Slovene situation is a little tricky, but I just, I don't, I don't see enough guys here unless they somehow manage to win this lottery on Tuesday. Where's the superstar that's going to get you over the hump? Otherwise, I just see another Bulls team that's top half of the Eastern Conference and can never get over the hump. Lucky to get to the top half of the Eastern Conference, at least the way they're constituted right now. I, I, I agree with you. I Look, the NBA... It's very hard to get an elite basketball player. It's why there's so much tanking in the league, which, by the way, I have a solution to that that I think Adam Silverwood should take a look at it, how to make it, because you don't want tanking, but that's a whole other conversation. But, look, you, you, you know who the best players in the NBA are, and you, you have to get extremely lucky to get one of them, and the Bulls did when they had less than 1% chance to get Derrick Rose, and they got the pick right, and then, of course, Derrick got hurt. So they need something like that to happen again to put them in a position to win the whole thing. Or they have to be super freaking smart like the Boston Celtics have been and identify a guy like Jason Tatum who ends up being the best player in the draft and makes a really creative trade. But, you know, and then, by the way, the Celtics had the number one pick and traded out of it. So, you know, the Bulls have never, haven't been in that position. So I, I just, to your point, they, it's just, there's so few franchise changing players. You have to be lucky to get one. And the Bulls were lucky to get Derek, but then he got hurt. And now they're hoping for luck again. And if they don't get it, then they're going to be exactly what you just said. And they'll be actually lucky to get that. Because I look at, you know, this is long-winded, apologize, but Chris Dunn, what is he at best? At best, I mean, he's a good player. I like him, but he's a. There's so many great guards in the league. He's a yeah. middle of the road point guard at best. What's Zach Levine at? Zach Levine at best. I don't know. Top twenty uh, player in the league at at very very best. More more likely of top you know fifteen guard. And and what's Laurie Markin in? So they just there's not enough talent on that team right now to even think about. To me, top half in the league, like maybe they make the playoffs, depending on how the roster comes together. But they like they traded away Nico. Nico was a good player, man. Nico helped the Pelicans this year. Nico was 26 years old. But they so, got a first round pick. I was impressed by that. Yeah, but okay, they got the number 22 overall pick in the in, you know in the draft. I mean, what's the chance you're going to get the player as good as Nico? At twenty, at at twenty two overall, twenty. This, Nico's twenty six. I mean, he's a good player, not not great, but he's good and getting better. 
but you know they they didn't they didn't want to pay Nico and all that type of stuff. But that was you know as far as talent on the roster, that's a step back right now. I don't think they're going to get a better player at twenty two. I'd be shocked. Maybe they will, but that would be a hell of a job by Garpax to do that. Probably not. But you in this situation the Bulls are in, I understand why you make that trade, and because, sure because you have to. While, while the odds are against you to get a better player than what Nico already was, you have to try because you already know what Nico is. Yes, uh, I suppose. I mean, I, I, maybe I just like Nico more than others like Nico. I mean, a, a guy who could step out and shoot it, and I just think he was. Look, they were three and twenty. The guy came back. And yeah, that, winning, that was the, well. Nico, Nico screwed their chances of tanking this year. Basically, yeah, I, you know. So it's I, his I, fault. I just, I just don't. I just don't hate Nico. Like everyone, like Nico sucks. But Nico didn't suck. He was. He was Nico. He wasn't. You know the best player in the league, but like I, Nico's going to go on and have a pretty good career. Um, so I, I don't, I, my, my point is that they're, they're still to me, the Chicago bulls are not a playoff team next year. I, I even unless uh, they make do have a phenomenal draft. Maybe they package both their picks and move up. I don't know. Last time they did that though, they, they packaged two picks and then they went up and got Doug McDermott. who's still making it cute. And, and the players behind him, like Gary Harris are, are way better than, who they, uh, you know, who they could have had if they just kept their picks at sixteen and nineteen. They move up to get Doug McDermott. That was awful. They traded Gary Harris, technically, right? Yeah, they they traded Harris and uh, the big man Nurich. Uh, if you look at that draft, look, they they yeah, that draft up to eleven. They could have drafted Zach Levine, who they ended up at eleven, who they ended up trading Jimmy Butler for. They totally that was a that was an awful swing and a miss that year. The people don't talk about that enough. They just completely blew it. So um, there there's was, too there many of those years. Amount. That's why I just it's not. It, it, it gets back to what you know your side of what you're saying with Nico is like. I understand the logic. You gotta you gotta think bigger than Nico with that pick. But then it gets back to okay, realistically, are those two gonna figure out the guy that's better than Nico at? What's the no? What's the number pick again? Twenty two. Twenty two. Twenty two. It's probably not going to happen. But no. And uh, <laughs> all right, that's you depressing. Know, I'll give him credit. Listen, Larry Markin was a very good pick. So they did excellent last year with the seven. That was a great job. If you redrafted this draft, Markin's probably three overall, no sure. worse than four. So they 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 did well there. They've they've hit and they've they've had some good ones. Jimmy Butler was an outstanding pick at number thirty. Outstanding. Um, you know, they, so they've had their moments. I don't want to take. They, they, they've made a, they've made a bunch of good ones. They've also drafted Kirk Heinrich over Dwayne Wade. So there's been there's been misses and there's been some good ones too. So it's like like anyone else in the draft, you're not going to hit all the time. But uh, you know, they 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 need to have a big swing and a big connection to get out of where they're at. All right, a little bit of baseball before we get out of here, Carm. Cubs White Sox this weekend. And no matter how much the White Sox are struggling, I always love a good crosstown series. Me too, love it. Um, you you talked to Chris Bryant the other day, and Chris Bryant right now, there. What? How did Joe Madden put it today? He's a manager's dream. I think is what he said. He, yeah, you know, he's uh, like he's one of the most perfect baseball players that's ever played in this city. Right. So. Cubs and Sox both home this week, and 
you were doing an outstanding job on the post, and Kevin Powell was out there. So, so Dave sent me to Cubs to get sound on, on last night and, and this afternoon. Yesterday, it's a tie game in the eighth inning, and the infield's in, and I forget who was at the plate. Ground ball to Starlin. Bryant's on third. Incredible jump. And beats the play at the play with a great slide. Cubs win. Today, he goes out and hits his 100th home run, fastest Cub to ever get to 100 home runs, plays right field because Jason Hayward is concussed and out for seven days. And, and he just, it, it's, it's incredible. He does everything, and he never complains. Or is he's just a great teammate. He wins the MVP of the league. He's the rookie of the year. He's the fastest Cub. He's he's now he's hit a hundred. I mean the, the guy, and he just does everything. I it, I don't think for like for my for my money, like Chris Bryant doesn't get talked about enough for how good that guy is. He's he runs the bases incredibly well. He plays third. He plays right. He plays left. You can put him in center. You can bat him second. You can hit him third. The guy never says anything. And I I mean I asked him about that today, and he's like he's like well you know when your dad's the Coach of the team, you can't play shortstop and, and bat third every game. So he's, you know, his dad's coaching him as a kid. And so his dad w- didn't want to give him preferential treatment, so he'd move him around. And I'm sitting there like, Chris, your dad's actually a great, great dad because most dads who had, a, who had a talented kid like you, they would hit third and play yeah. short every game. Yeah, his dad uh, deserves a lot of credit for that. He really does. And, and Brian, you know, give the kid credit too for not being a pouty kid and realizing that you know, hey, I want to be a great teammate, and this is what I do. And and he's and he and so Joe Madden called him a manager's dream, which he is. I mean, it's it's really, it's um, it's just impressive. Like that guy is unbelievable. Did you see the interview with A Rod on Sunday night on ESPN? That Chris I know I, I heard about it, but I missed it. Give me a, give me a quick. Uh, what did he say? Well, it it was just the whole thing. It was like it was five at least five minutes of just A Rod who, you know, whatever your opinion on A-Rod, and they're, they're fair if they're negative from his playing days, but he's a really good hitter. There's no <laughs> questioning A-Rod's ability to hit the baseball. So to hear a guy like that, and I think he's turned into a tremendous baseball analyst on TV, him interviewing Chris Bryant on hitting and just the <laughs> expertise on hitting in that conversation, was it was baseball porn. <laughs> to the max, it was so good. It was so good, um, and it, so that—that's all. It was just—it was just really entertaining. Now I have to get after the um, the St. Louis Cardinals and specifically Michael Waka for this because it's a rain delay, and they show the whole thing. And part of the conversation was A. Rod asked Chris Bryant in an ideal situation, and I don't want to give up any secrets. That's like how he worded the question. Where do you want the baseball thrown to you? And Chris Bryant and, and, and uh, A-Rod put the ball out there, and Chris Bryant moved his hand just a little bit and said, right here's a sweet spot. It was like low and inside. And, uh-huh. and, and like the first pitch Michael Walker throws to him right after the rain delay is right damn there in the exact same spot. And I have to imagine the games on ESPN, those TV, the TVs are on in the clubhouse every single game because not everybody's in the dugout. How did they not see that? They showed <laughs> well, it during the rain delay. What else are you doing during the rain delay? Right. but the, I, mean, I mean, that's the sweet spot for a ton of players. I mean, Michael Walker did not want to 
throw the baseball there. But he literally said during the rain delay, this is where I want the ball. And Michael Walker walks out to the mound and goes, okay, here's a home run. Maybe he was trying to prove it to I don't believe you, buddy. Let's see if you can actually hit it. And he hit it 700 feet in the Big Mac land. Yeah, I don't know. It was Anyway, that was entertaining. Um, Cub Sox this weekend should be fun. I'll see you out at Wrigley. Here's the thing. I, you know, I love I love our new gig and the way we split it up with Sox postgame, but I don't ever get to see Mark Carmen anymore. It's really sad. Well, I, I'm going to I'm going to pop in out on Friday afternoon, baby. Uh, you can't you can't miss a Cub Sox on a Friday afternoon. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna get done with my stuff at Fanside Adam Hogan. I'm gonna come over and see you and give you a big hug. I, I appreciate that. I can't wait for it. And you you have not heard the interview yet because it's in this podcast, and so it'll be available once this podcast comes out. But I try to get Rakan to call up Eloy for this weekend series against the Cubs. <laughs> um. And he gave a really interesting answer, like basically admitting they're going to have to have a conversation here very soon about at least moving him up to AAA. Uh, but and I said, you know, he likes hitting against the Cubs, so why not just bring him up for this weekend? And uh, his response was, "Well, we do play the Cubs again in September." Ooh, okay, Rick. Yeah, how about that? I think it's August fourth that Frank Thomas and. Alex Fernandez both debuted against the Milwaukee Brewers back in 1990. How do you so, know that? Why not just make it an August 4th? Michael Kopech. Wait, why do you Lloyd. know that? What's that? Why do you know that? I, I, I know it. I don't know. I, I was doing the research. <laughs> I'm Look like, when you. these guys are going to come up? And I was, I was looking, well, when did Frank come up? When did, when did, and that that's when they came up. It, I I want it was either I, I'm 99 percent certain I have the date right. It was the, it was it was in August for sure, and it was either in 90 or 91. And it was the same day, and it was against the Brewers. So why not just go a double day? I don't think they'll do it this way. But I love you know every look. Every Sox fan wants to see Aloy here, and every Sox fan wants to see Michael Kopech here. And um, although Kopech's last outing wasn't great, but who cares? He'll. Uh, we all know that he's coming, and hopefully, I I'd like to see them both here this year, right? I mean, wouldn't you? Uh, oh yeah, and I think it's going to happen. I mean, Kopech's going to be up at some point. The only, you know, the only way Eloy doesn't make it is if God forbid he gets hurt or he just for some reason struggles at AAA. Which the way he's been dominating the minor leagues, I can't see that happening. Uh, at this point, he's got to be at least be up in September. Frank Thomas, Major League debut, August second, nineteen ninety. Yeah, so as they were both on that day. I'm double check. I, no, I'm, I'm definitely right. Don't even double check me. Although, feel free to. I'm sure. No, I, bl- I trust you. You're what? You're White Sox post game host. So that's exactly right, baby. It's, it's got to be true. <laughs> um, all right, buddy. Thanks so much for staying up late, getting this thing done, and. Uh, I'm going to try to enjoy the NBA playoffs as much as possible. Good to be with you, Adam Hogue, as always, brother. I will, we'll see you at Wrigley this weekend. All right, Mark Carmen, WGN Radio. Always fun to pick his brain with the NBA and, and certainly baseball as well. All right, uh, time to get out of here, but good, good, uh, good to have another episode here of Sports Central with you. And uh, some, I thought, a very interesting conversation with Rick Hahn. He gets talked so much, so many questions about the minor league. Sometimes it's uh, you know good to talk to him about what's actually happening at the uh, major league level with you know what's going on with Matt Davidson and and Yoan Moncada before he went on the DL. So 
Appreciate Rick Hahn jumping on today as well. It's a it's a tough time right now with the White Sox. Nine and twenty five as we record right now. But uh, hey, Cubs Sox this weekend, and I have a feeling it'll be competitive just because of the nature of the series. You know, they say throw out the records, right, or something like that. It's more for football, but you know, the, the Sox were actually pretty competitive against the Cubs last year. Um, so it should be a fun weekend at Wrigley Field, and you can hear all three games of that series on 720 WGN at Cubs White Sox at Wrigley Field. First game, uh, 120 on Friday. I'll have your post game Friday, and Mark Carmen will have it Saturday and Sunday. All right, uh, thanks to our producer, Ben Anderson. Thanks to Rick Hahn for jumping on. Thanks to Mark Carmen for spending time with us as well on Sports Central. Again, if you don't already subscribe to the podcast, you should. It's on iTunes. It's on Google Play. It's anywhere you listen to podcasts and also available on WGNRadio.com. Please subscribe if you enjoy what you heard here. Please rate and review the podcast on Sports Central as well. You just search WGN Sports Central on your uh, podcast appreciate doing that and trust me we're trying our best to pump you down as often as possible it's been tough that baseball uh, we'll keep it going uh, throughout the summer alright thanks for listening we will talk to you next time here on Sports Central